0: Uh... <laughs> to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we used to revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, <laughs> arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll Tooth Wars. We did not think about that intro, did we? <laughs> no, no. Um, that that is probably going to have to change, um, <laughs> which is sad because I, I I only only just memorized it kind of 66 episodes in um I think P- clearly Pj a lot of things are gonna have to change because um yeah um half half my headphone like the, these headphones have served me all the way through the entire recording of this ser- of this series and uh one half of them has just died oh no Yeah, so oh. I can only hear you out of my left ear right now that's the ear I can't hear in just generally I,
1: I'm deaf in my left ear and I just use a one one headphone, headphone thing in my right ear. So if that I, failed me, I'd be screwed. Are you... Ri- I, I had no idea, PJ.
0: Yeah, completely deaf in my left ear. It's... Wow. I mean, you, you know, it's like you, you you an absolute bombshell in the final episode. Well, it's, there we go. <laughs> is, is that something you've had your entire life? Uh, it happened when I was
1: about three, I think it was. I got the mumps and it destroyed the eardrum in my left ear because it, it can do that. But we didn't find out until I was seven or eight, um, because I—it was sort of just the norm for me. I didn't even think about it, but I'd always sleep on my right ear, answer the phone on my right ear, and it wasn't until one day we had like hearing tests in school, and then my parents got called in and went, "He didn't get anything in his left ear," and they thought about it and went, "This makes sense actually." And then I had years of tests and things done on me, and and but just to confirm it. But yeah, completely
0: deaf in my left ear. I, I I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh. I, I just like the idea of years of tests to confirm what you essentially already knew. Uh, I was picturing doctors like shouting at you from one hemisphere of your face for a very long time. Which is the thing where it's is just what I'm used to. I don't remember
1: being able to hear with both ears. Um obviously I did the first couple of years of my life, but yeah, I have no memory of it, and I can't really comprehend what that would be like. Because I know it's not volume, so
0: it's hard for me to it's just how I am so yeah well, it's like um uh my my brother growing up uh he uh had uh, quite quite poor eyesight skill skill does to this day um and he works as an optometrist oddly enough so he's oh, okay he's doing doing good work there um <laughs> but I think as a kid uh they uh i think for a long time thought uh, well, I don't think they knew what was going on with him because he wasn't, it uh, took a really long time to learn to speak. Uh, mm. And they thought maybe he had some developmental issues or something like that. Uh, and and the big reveal was that he was effectively blind, you know, oh, uh, wow. a bit at that age, because his eyesight was so bad. They were like, oh, no, no, you, you don't understand. Like the reason he's never really worked out, one of the factors in never really learning how to speak is because he can't see see people's lips. And oh, so he, he, you know, he just didn't make the connection between people moving their face and <laughs> and making noise, and uh, and then they got him like these absolute like bottle, you know, like thick, thick glasses because it was like yeah the early nineties, and and then um and then he just kind of came on leaps and bounds, and you know, it, as you say, like you know he was he was young, he didn't, you know, he you didn't think to communicate that anything was wrong because he didn't he didn't know didn't know any different really yeah yeah. It's it's the the weird quirks of being a human being. Well, you've you've
1: given me the gift of knowledge today, PJ. There we go. Then my work here is done, and
0: I'm just going to fade into the ether. <laughs> yeah, we finally. So yeah, we finally. Um, in case in case this is someone's first episode, which it would be. It should not be. be Please b- don't make this your first episode of this show. Baffling to me. Um, <laughs> we, PJ and I have finally completed our dark bargain and uh we have we have visited every single issue of grant Morrison, howard Porter and and friends is run on jLA and uh there is nothing left for us to do at all on on this green earth we are done it, it's really you know I've enjoyed rereading jLA every time I've revisited it but this
1: time in particular because we've we've dived into it quite so good deeply we've been we've studied this this book for this this show and because i've been doing it with a friend who feels the same way about the series as well so we just gushed over the same moments and it's my favorite revisiting of the series so far and i think when i come to reread it again in the future it it won't be quite as much fun
0: isn't that that's yeah like that that's for danger isn't it we've ruined it for ourselves we may have done yeah um (laughs) Yeah, and, and and likewise, PJ. I, I don't I don't want to be the guy who's like. Uh, and the real Morrison was the friendship we made along the way. But <laughs> uh, it, it's it's been so nice, kind of going going through this series with somebody who who feels the same way I do. Because mm. um, yeah, like it, it, in case in case we haven't made it obvious, um, this series was a really big deal for me. Kind of growing yeah. up, like um, basically made me realize. That writing comics is what I wanted to do, and that comics, even comics about superheroes, could be really flipping weird. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's just so nice to be kind of evangelical about something you're passionate with, passionate about rather. I think for me as well, it's the series that made me really fall in love with the DC
1: universe and those characters. Before I read JLA, obviously, I knew who Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman were. I had a vague awareness of the Flash. <laughs> thanks to DC versus Marvel, I'd met Green Lantern and and, and Captain Marvel and a couple of others. But this series, reading it beginning to end, just blew the doors open for me and introduced me to so many wild characters and and ideas that some of which were Morrison creations, but a lot of which was Morrison playing with things that already existed in in really cool ways. And it it just made me want to find out more about a lot
0: of them. Well, yeah, like it, it's, it's kind of i think our circumstances as people who grew up in like the early you know it, we were kind of gaining an awareness of world of the world in the early 90s uh where it's like it like growing up in the uk we've said this a lot but like generally marvel content was a bit easier to get hold of yeah i think unless you had a like a decent comic shop near you, but they they were kind of few and far between back then. And, you know, we had all the Marvel cartoons, which kind of like really just saturated the market. And aside from the Superman cartoon and the Batman cartoon, and obviously their respective movies, the rest of the DC universe was a bit of a mystery. I remember getting a... Hmm. Uh, I remember getting a kids comic based on batman and i only ever got one issue uh this was when i was very young i remember it because i was still in (laughs) still in my family's first house i really remember (laughs) this and like the weird fabric on the on the sofa and like um in the uk i think i think occasionally published by panini but not the panini collector's editions it was like an a4 more kid-friendly superhero comic do, do you do you remember any of these pj did they ring about do they ring a bell with you there
1: was definitely uh, spectacular spider-man adventures yes which was sort of based off the animated series and was that anim- um, a4 size and then later on sort of became its own thing was still a bit more skewed a bit younger but wasn't so much related to the animated series because they kept going long after that series had been cancelled
0: but they were were they uk direct creations if that makes sense
1: yeah they were they were my, my friend simon williams drew a lot of those oh seriously yeah oh my god yeah and then went on from that to do the dvd covers when they released the spider-man series on dvd a few years oh later
0: oh my god yes yeah i remember those i remember those vividly
1: yeah there was a great his his, his work on the season two dvd which was basically spider-man fighting wolverine is just such a a cool drawing of those two characters is brilliant. Yeah,
0: I can I can picture that. I can picture that. And I'm I'm guessing cuz that was the same way that like when Panini would release um three three separate American issues as one collector's edition in the UK, mm. bound together with a kind of slightly more rigid cardboard cover. Yeah. They'd often certainly for a long time come up with an original cover drawn by, like, a UK artist, I seem to recall.
1: Yeah, some of them were really cool. Some of them weren't very good. (laughs) But then in later years, they did start just reprinting the US covers and lost a little bit of the charm for me, I think, at that point.
0: Mm. But it, yeah, it's it's just weird, isn't it? Because they're still kind of clinging on, those UK reprints. I, I have no idea how popular they are now in relation to how they were back then my
1: i've had a quick flick through them occasionally in in local news agents and i think they've they've sort of gone up so they're 100 pages and they reprint like four comics a month and but they cost like 6 or 7 pounds now mm. or something like that and i think in terms of timelines they're a lot closer like when we were buying them they were like 3 or 4 years behind now i think they're only like 1 year behind america but it was
0: it was kind of like a lifeline yeah um I, which is why I, I wonder how relevant that model is anymore in a, in an era where uh, comic shops are a bit more prevalent, a bit more welcoming, uh, where we obviously we have digital comics, you can just go on Comixology, for example. Um, but yeah, like the, the lure of getting essentially three Marvel comics a month mm. mailed through the door was incredible. And, you know, at the time, Panini, the company doing this, wasn't printing any DC content. Um, perhaps with the exception of some of these, you know, if indeed this was Panini, these kind of kid-friendly ones. Because the reason I bring it up is I, I vividly remember having, I think it was a Batman, a, a kid-friendly Batman comic, an original UK creation. And at the back of the book, it had some, um, like, a fact, fact sheets about other DC heroes who I'd never, ever heard of before. Oh, okay. This this memory's just bubbling up now from my subconscious. And one of them was The Flash. And I, I, I vividly remember as a kid being struck by The Flash's costume, because I thought mm. it was really cool, and and doing that thing that kids do where I'm like, I'm going to create my own version of this character. I'm just going to rip this character off. So I <laughs> ripped off that character and called him The Flash. I just created <laughs> an off-brand Flash called The Flash um, but you know I all, all I knew all I knew from his factoid is that The Flash uh, has a thing against gorillas yep. and uh, I never saw a single piece of Flash media uh, and, until until my days of picking up JLA all those years later oh wow it was a mystery <laughs> again you know you might have a vague awareness of Wonder Woman but I'd, I'd never seen the Linda Carter TV show and you know you just just couldn't, just couldn't get hold of any Wonder Woman content in the UK.
1: Uh, see, the Linda Carter show was on TV when I was really young, like five or so, I think, in the mid, eight, mid to late eighties. I remember them showing it on ITV over here, so I had watched that. Uh, so that's how my first encounter with Wonder Woman.
0: Yeah, I, of course, I, I, um, I'm not as, um, oh, what's the, uh, the word, venerable as you, decrepit, be- uh, nah, no, um, <laughs> uh, uh, learned as, as, as you. Um, but yeah, do you, um, do you remember when you first saw the, um, JLA cartoon, BJ? Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the one that followed Superman, the animated series. Yeah. 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 It was when they first broadcast it on Cartoon Network over here. Oh, did you? Because it was an event for me that that was happening because I was already into the Morrison JLA comics. So the fact that they were doing this animated series, having sort of teased that they might try and do it a few times and introduced a couple of characters in the Batman and Superman shows. And so when they finally did it, I was like, I, I know this is happening and I am. Because it, it was when I was at university, so I didn't have Sky or Cable or anything like that at university, but it was debuting in the summer, like the weekend before I'd go back to uni, so I could at least watch those
0: first three episodes. <laughs> It's so it's so funny you saying that because um what what years were you at uni? I started
1: in September 2000 and I graduated in uh, May 2003.
0: Wow. Yeah. I I was 2004 to 2007. But I I vividly remember uh I was um after secondary school I went on a a brief uh month-long trip to Peru with some of my mm. uh schoolmates basically uh it was an interesting trip mostly punctuated by food poisoning and lesser degrees (laughs) of food poisoning uh but i remember one night we were in a hotel which was relative luxury for us and as my roommate was sleeping i was going through my bag kind of sorting out kit and i found they had uh, effectively cartoon network but obviously um Dubbed into um, uh, Spanish, I believe. Hmm. So I watched. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen the JLA cartoon, uh, and it was it was a time travel episode. Uh, and I watched this whole forty minute episode essentially because they were long episodes.
1: Um, well, they were
0: they were two th- most
1: of that series for the first two years when it was just Justice League before they became Justice League Un- Unlimited Limited first two three seasons. It was like 20, 25-minute episodes, but every episode was a two-parter. Ah. So in some territories, they'd cut them together as one longer
0: thing. Well, uh, I never had a Cartoon Network at home. Um, And when I was at university, I remember my final year of university, because I was such uh, a social butterfly and I was going to parties all the time, uh, I definitely did not spend many an evening... um, streaming uh in a quasi legal capacity uh <laughs> episodes of the jla cartoon uh, <laughs> at an era where i had to get the the video buffering mm-hmm. go and cook dinner come back 40 minutes later and just about have a viewable episode in a tiny window that's how bad it was <laughs> I, I remember i i
1: sort of watch it sporadically uh, like a few years later I did manage to get to so by then Cartoon Network had split off into multiple different things and they showed Justice League on, on something called Toonami which mm-hmm. was the more action-based channel where they'd show a lot of anime and then like the Justice League and Batman car- of the future cartoons so I'd sort of watch it sporadically there um, but then it was like, I think about five years ago, I found out that all seasons of Justice League were on Prime, and I binged the lot. Oh, and
0: interesting.
1: It was so good. <laughs> I had a great
0: time. Hasn't, um, I'm trying to think, because it, thinking back to it now, the cartoon very clearly drew influence from Morrison's JLA. Uh because yeah. I, I mean, obviously they changed the lineup a little bit, uh, particularly when it was for Magnificent Seven kind of days. Uh, Only in the instead of Aquaman, you had Hawk
1: Girl, and that Green Lantern was John Stewart rather than Kyle Rayner. Mm.
0: But that was very much like uh, I know, I know, like Lucy, my wife. Um, to her, like John Stewart was just Green Lantern. Mm. You know, like she, she, she didn't know any other Green Lantern. I think when she found out about Hal Jordan years later, she was quite disappointed because she was like, who's this Hal Jordan guy? He's not as interesting as John. Uh, And I think because I was a bit of a purist, I missed having Aquaman around. But like, I I definitely understood, you know, the part that Hawkgirl played and uh, came to really like her through the series. And they did some great Aquaman guest appearance episodes
1: in those first few series, and then in Justice League Unlimited, where, like, the League was just every superhero that DC has as one team, and you'll get different characters in each episode. There were some great Aquaman moments in those as well.
0: Well, for crying out loud, they, you know, they did, um... They even did the General, as we've said. <laughs> like, yeah. a version of the General turned up. I mean, that's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, and then for a bunch of powerless
1: heroes. I was it? It was... Green Arrow, Vigilante, Shining Knight.
0: Um oh, and, <laughs> The oh, Question. Yeah. The question <laughs> was great in that show. Yeah. Have you um I know um Morrison and Alan Moore historically don't get on very well. Mm. Uh and I and I think because uh uh Morrison, by their own admission, was a bit of a um bit of a Punky rabble rouser back in the day. He wanted to yeah. upset the Apple cart a bit. Uh and um there's um in multiversity, there's of course the story uh written by Morrison, drawn by Frank Quitely, which is not Watchmen, if that makes sense. Right. Have you read this one? No. This is like the hardest thing to describe to anyone. Who, you'll get it PJ but if you try to describe this to anyone who has even a foot in the real world um, so obviously Watchmen was originally meant to be uh, based on the Charlton superheroes yes yeah uh, couldn't get the rights at, in, due to some legal quandaries so they became the original characters of Watchmen
1: I thought it was that they DC did own those characters
0: but they didn't want Alan Moore doing that with those characters oh, oh god yeah no god that's probably more likely isn't it yeah <laughs> um, And then in Multiversity, which came out, uh, God, I was going to say recently, but probably over a decade ago now, (laughs) um, Morrison revisits all these alternate worlds in the re-established DC multiverse. And one of the worlds they go to is effectively the world of Watchmen, only Hmm. they're not the Watchmen characters. They are alternate reality versions of the Charlton characters comics characters right. in a universe which is inspired by Watchmen. Okay. Updated to a post kind of war on terror kind of thing. And so well, That doesn't sound
1: bizarre at all.
0: So if you ever want to see Morrison writing The Question <laughs> as if The Question is Raw Shark, read Multiversity, which I think I do. It's it it's one of the highlights of the story and it also introduces captain adam who is obviously captain atom but he is the he is more of a dr manhattan figure Hmm. who then who also turned up sorry who turned up earlier in the two the morrison two-parter superman beyond Hmm. illustrated by doug mank that appears in the middle of final crisis and is the best the best thing about final crisis (laughs) <laughs> some may argue one of the only good
1: things about final crisis you're not
0: wrong you're not wrong it's um but yeah sorry i'm rambling now but um where was i going with this but yes other other than yeah the, the question is great on the tv series and uh morrison's take on on him is suitably deranged as you might expect
1: one of the reasons i love the question so much in the cartoon is because he's jeffrey coombs as well which is just perfect <laughs> oh
0: god is he oh i didn't yeah. know that yeah oh yeah that makes perfect sense yeah God, that is good casting. <laughs> um but oh, PJ, i I, mean, I know i know we're we're kind of like this is all excellent content and it's all kind of morrison related but did we is there anything we wanted to say about the ending of world war three seeing as we kind of truncated la- yeah. last week's episode a bit so I, th- I think we, we we should get into our our overall thoughts on World War
1: Three, and then maybe we'll we'll get into our overall thoughts on the Morrison run and everything we've looked at so far as a whole. But yeah, World War Three, what an ending! <laughs> it's it's superb. Um, obviously it's been a couple of weeks, so I've had some time to think and and you know try and think. Oh, is there anything I would maybe criticize about it? And I found one thing about World War Three that I'm like, actually, yeah, I feel like. And I don't know how you could have done it differently, but I feel like there is something there. There's not enough Aquaman. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I think for the story that is the end of this run that started with the Big Seven, including Aquaman, and Aquaman has had some major moments in it. Aquaman gets shortchanged a little bit by
0: World War Three. I guess the idea, yeah, no, I, I guess the idea is that even though he's gone for most of it. When he does turn up, yeah, he gets to do something. I, I, I am with you though. I, I it's probably it's, it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment of riches, really, isn't it? Because I guess if you've got fourteen characters, it is going to be quite hard to give them all, uh, yeah. some time in the sun. Yeah, and you know, he gets
1: that great moment with Orion at the end when the new gods are leaving which i love and is perfectly in character for both of them and the relationship morrison had set up between the two of them but
0: uh, but yeah a little more aquaman i think i would have liked i have uh this is less a criticism of the uh story line as a whole uh i think if i if i have one complaint is maybe the wrong word but like an observation the final chapter of world war 3 the conclusion of the story, the conclusion of the entire series uh is uh, it's already a bumper episode, a bumper issue. Uh And I always felt the, the bit right at the end, the kind of where everything reverts essentially to the way it was before. Mm. Always thought that was a little short and sudden. Yes, it is. Yeah. At the same time, however, I'm not entirely sure how you could have done it differently because Morrison was already packing in a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, and those last few pages are a lot of fun and you're, you're back to the Magnificent Seven. Even though we know that in the following issues Plastic Man is still in the league, I guess he's recovering from the everything that went down with Queen Bee, but Yeah, you do get, and then the suddenness of the new gods leaving, and then suddenly, oh, it's it's Doctor Destiny, and I think I'm wondering if he's using Doctor Destiny there as the throwaway villain just because obviously Doctor Destiny was part of the forming of this league in Midsummer's Nightmare. Is it to bring it full circle, or Mm. is it just because Morrison liked the character? I don't know, but yeah, it is a little quick, maybe.
0: Yeah, and 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 I think that may be like. Does this speak of a bigger problem? It's not a problem. It's only a problem if you consider it a problem. Of bringing... If you're an editor, editor in Chief, and you bring in Morrison to one of your flagship titles, you bring Morrison in because you want them to change things up, which they've proven time and time again they will do. And then when you get to Morrison leaving, you're left with a dilemma. Uh, do you continue down the path Morrison has developed or do you try and reset it back to a manageable level again? Yeah. (laughs) And it was very clear that, like, they, I think they loved everything that Morrison was doing because, you know, JLA went from being kind of, you know, really struggling as a title to being one of the most talked about series out there. Uh, But they also were like... Can you please just leave us, you know, don't, don't don't mess it up too much. We Just give us a Magnificent Seven and we'll take it from here sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, as I say, you get to
1: Mark Waid Run and actually Mark Waid Run sort of starts with the Heaven's Ladder one shot where Steel and the Atom are still around as well. And then you get to the main series and the only extra one then is Plastic Man. But yeah, they do pare it down, don't they?
0: And I guess that kind of speaks to, you know, the Huntress situation. Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe it's open to debate how much of Huntress's fate was determined by Morrison and how much came as an editorial kind of edict, really. But, um, yeah, there's a slight vibe of, like, everything, all the toys have to be put back in the box at the end. Now, that does not diminish in any way from you know the amazing the the friends we made along along the way because it was a hell of a ride but um yeah the the ending is very much like oh yeah it's really over now like you know we're we're dialing back the weirdness just a bit yeah yeah for sure and i
1: think wade's run does do some weirdness but it's it's very different it's it's very much in in mark wade classic superheroes, which isn't a knock i really love the mark what mark wade did that run after morrison leaves the book um but it isn't the same it's just different
0: well it's certainly um you know i think uh that that's very much a gap in my in in my jla history really um you know tower of tower of babel tower of babel um it's a big one that everyone talks about. And I think I've only partially read it once, you know, I really need to, I I need to own it because I, for the longest time after finishing Morrison's run, I was, I was collecting the JLA trades, you know, um, Mm. I have some of the Wade run. I, I have, but I probably have more of the Joe Kelly run that came afterwards. Like I really got into that oddly enough.
1: I, I think I own all of the Wade run in trade. I think that only covers like three trades though. Um, in total but then it just sort of i get random bits and pieces here and there like i've got some stuff that tied into uh like identity crisis <laughs> um the crisis of conscience storyline which yeah and um, other random bits and pieces but yeah it's really only the the morrison and wade
0: runs that i think i've got complete in trade form is there is there anything that the morrison run spoiled for you in a way where did, reading Morrison's take on JLA, did it has it ever made it difficult to visit a different take on JLA because you found it kind of wanting or anything like that?
1: Um, I I think
0: a lot of the later
1: JLA stuff, sort of after Kelly, I found a little bit yeah, and then Brad Meltzer's relaunch of Justice League of America as well. Then when they Closed down JLA, relaunched it as Justice League, and Brad Meltzer came on board. And Hal was back as Green Lantern. Red Tornado was a major part of the team, and Arsenal was on the team as Red Arrow. There's some stuff in it I like, but it, it just—they're back in the Hall of Justice for some reason, and that never made sense to me. They should be on the moon in their yeah. watchtower, you know. And so I, I think everything that sort of came after that struggled to match up to JLA and not just Morrison though Morrison for me is the high point of that series but JLA as a whole and and the way the team was structured in that series I um, I guess it was a return to what 80s high points and I like this good like I liked that they made Arsenal red arrow I thought that was a nice evolution of that character but overall sort of after that and I've got the first volume of the trades of Meltzer's run, and it's, it's, I quite like it. I think there's a really good one shot issue in there between, um, where I think it's Red Arrow and Vixen get sort of trapped under a collapsed building that I really like. But there's nothing in it that makes me go, wow, in the way that certainly the Morrison run and parts of the Wade run did. I, uh,.
0: I I think something that the Morrison run maybe ruined for me is that like um for a long time whenever because it, it it's like um kind of in the same way that X Men uh there's a there's a lot of people who really like X Men because it, it's like a kind of um soap opera you know there's mm. like uh there's a big 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 cask of characters which are, who are beloved and um I think for me when I started thinking about the JLA it was always inspired by Morrison's take on it, which was very much like really just mind-bending concepts yeah, and and these big flagship characters. It's like, you know, I could never really get on board with not having Kyle around, <laughs> you know, because Kyle and wallace Same. Yeah. Um, and so when I would pick up other JLA rungs and it's just this kind of, say, massive casks of like D-listers, <laughs> and I'm like, for me, that works for, say x-men where you're meant to have his rotating cask or the avengers which you know would do a wonderful thing of like oh we will promote like a, a, a g-list character for a bit and we'll make you love them and then we'll keep mixing it up but i'm like for me the jla it's got to be if not the magnificent seven but something very much like it you know i want yeah. to see the big players and and i just i've still yet to warm to green arrow as a character oliver queen that is I really like Ollie, but I think that's the Justice
1: League cartoon that made me like him when he joined the team. I thought he was so good in that. And then I picked up uh, Kevin Smith's run when he brought Ollie back in the comics and enjoyed that. And that's why I have such a fondness for Ollie as a character, because he was in those cartoons I loved. And then because he had a, a run on the comics that I really enjoyed. I think that's one of the reasons I've never really enjoyed Hal as a character in Green Lantern, or certainly not as much as... Kyle is cuz I've never had a a story with hal as green lantern that made me love him that much. No. There are some good ones out there for sure but nothing that makes me think this is my guy. No
0: and it, and it's, it's funny isn't it because we we've talked at length about this but obviously Kyle's very existence was you know it it took people a long time to warm to him and there, and there was clearly a, a school of thought that you know, a significant number of people never warmed to him, which is why mm. he essentially got demoted down down the way. But, you know, you only have to look at, like, that uh, the Daniel-Sandman interaction with Kyle. And it's like, that just made me love him forever. And, you know, and, and the fact that Howell was a set effectively perfect from the get-go. And Kyle was very kind of human and flawed and nervous like that always just made him in a weird way more kind of endearing and heroic to me because he had somewhere to to build from
1: yeah and i don't
0: i don't think
1: they demoted Kyle because it wasn't selling or anything like that i think it's literally because cuz i mean his his own series which was what volume 3 of green lantern it ran for 14 years.
0: Oh, that's pretty that's pretty yeah. good when you say it like that.
1: Yeah, nineteen ninety to two thousand and four, a hundred and eighty-three issues. So that's not bad going. <laughs> you know? I think it's literally because DC had this superstar writer, Jeff Johns, and Jeff Johns was obsessed with making things back to what they were when he was young. So I was like, bring back Hal, bring back Barry, get rid of these guys. Yeah. And and what's even more annoying about that is Green Lantern Rebirth isn't bad, I think. It's okay. Flash Rebirth, eh, I've got less time for. Uh, let's not talk about the artist of those books. But they, like, Quiver, the Oliver Queen story where they brought back Oliver Queen, I really liked. There's a lot of really fun stuff in that, and it's one of the reasons I like Ollie.
0: The stories where they brought back Hal and Barry are just, eh, okay. There's a um, in Morrison's run, current run, I want to say, I think it's still going uh, of Green Lantern. Uh, it's just my opinion, but it didn't it didn't work for me in the way that, say, uh, Scar Superman worked, or even even the even Morrison's Batman run. Um, hmm. And for me, I personally, I think one of the problems was Hal, like as a character, as as a, as a central leading figure because it was like he had very he just had nowhere to go as a character like he he was just a a very he was very good at what he did and there's there's a story in it um where um he teams up with flash he teams up with barry Mm. and, and it it really didn't do anything for me And I don't have this strong emotional connection with those two characters, so maybe it would have hit differently if I did. But it's just night and day comparing it to the Kyle and Wally interactions in uh, in JLA. And I know Morrison's like, you know, decades older now, is a very different person. But it kind of makes me sad (laughs) in a way that, like, we'll arguably never get the Kyle and Wally team up again. Because they're not the same characters anymore. I think I've said it before, but I feel like how Jordan and Barry Allen work
1: best as legacies that those characters are trying to live up to, these these great heroes of the past who did great things and now the younger generation have assumed those mantles and are trying to live up to that name and that ideal, is a great story. And if you bring them back, it just that story just stops.
0: Yeah. the Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because, well... I don't know, I was going to say like it, 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 this era kind of like 97 to 2000 and everything that came beyond it beyond it, you know, you're a decade after Crisis, the first mm. Crisis and it kind of felt like these characters were or this universe had grown a little bit now this is the eternal, the eternal battle of any kind of long running syndicated superhero universe, but it's like Maybe the journey that began with, say, JLA in 97 with Morrison eventually ran for over 100 issues, like kind of past Joe Kelly, eventually into, oh, who came? Uh, was it Brad Meltzer, did you say?
1: When it relaunched as Justice League, I think JLA itself had a lot of, like, very short runs where creators would come and do one story, like Kurt Busiek did his, Chuck Austin did oh, one. Oh, of course, yeah. Alan Heinberg did one, I think,
0: but maybe that's the lifespan you you have because you know by the time you get into to uh, the mid to late two thousands, we're talking infinite crisis, aren't we? Like we're yeah. suddenly there's there's another crisis because I don't know you got a decade or well no sorry twenty years really, but then you had to reset everything again. Yeah. Yeah. I something that broke my heart was the changing of Kyle's costume even in the pages of JLA. I know. It's just not as good. No. Now I know it's the costume he wears during JLA Avengers. Yeah. So you know, you take what you can. But um I remember really getting into the the kind of later Joe Kelly Doug Mank run when when they kind of hit their stride. And I think um having picked up the Obsidian age. Mm -hmm. trade paperback uh, relatively recently in like the last five years to see how it started i i felt like it was maybe there were some fun ideas but it was maybe like a wobblier start because maybe joe kelly hadn't found his voice yet for those characters yeah and kyle in that story didn't massively feel like my kyle if that makes sense uh yeah Yeah. and and then ultimately ends up leaving and, and john stewart comes back so like I liked that JLA as much as I said I didn't like kind of d liskers running around. I liked it when Joe Kelly felt like taking it in his own direction rather than kind of following the Morrison legacy. Because when you had like Major Disaster, Manitou, Raven, Faith, Firestorm running around, I was like, okay, this is weird now. Like this is a very weird lineup and I'm kind of here for it. But you still had those key... Legacy, the
1: main figures, you had Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. You had the Flash in there. Even though it wasn't Kyle, you had a Green Lantern. And I think, you know, they did that just so it sort of matched the cartoon a little bit more, I want to say. Um so you still had that you had the A-Listers there as well to balance out the D listers. It's when you get a
0: team that's only D listers. That's when you're going, what are they doing? Did is is you say like you say like this series is the series that kind of opened the dc universe to you yeah um you know did really strange thing to say but did it essentially make you a dc fan after this in a way that you maybe couldn't have been before i think so i think
1: so i had read some dc before i came to this like i borrowed nightfall off a friend um i'd got the death of superman trades out of the live my local library and read those but then i read this, Morrison's JLA, and I went, oh, wow, this is what this universe can be. This is what these characters can do. Okay. And that's what made me go on and just start checking out other current at the time, and then older DC stories as well. I went back and read Crisis on Infinite Earths, for example, and I, that's one of my favourite trades I own now. It's just stunning stuff. But, yeah, this... this It made me the DC
0: fan I am today. It's... um. I, I I agree. I mean, it, it, it's funny because I don't actively collect any comics now. Um, you know, I, I I dropped off Marvel. Oh God, like I guess, uh, it, it, um, Secret Wars, mm. the uh, Hickman one. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's kind of like when I I just kind of stopped. And I have been collecting since the Busick days. Um, and yeah, I and having spent a good many years kind of tracking down all these JLA trades and, you know, having the odd kind of Morrison ongoing series, like I'm just not actively consuming anything now. But I know clearly by the very existence of this podcast, I I, I have an enormous, enormous fondness for this kind of era of DC. I don't want to live in the past, but like, it, yeah, it, it kind of really spoke to me about what superhero comics... Um, were really, I it was quite formative for me, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that between this and Busick's Avengers, Mm. that's what made me a comics fan, I think, certainly superhero comics fan. Which, like you, I'm not picking anything up at the moment, but you know, I still love these characters and these stories.
0: It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I know, like, maybe, was it maybe a couple of years ago, there was something, uh, didn't Morrison release a mini-series for DC and it was called, like, Superman and the Authority? Yeah. Yeah. Now, in many ways, that should be written for me because it's like I loved the Authority back in the day. Uh, And, you know, Morrison was going to write a Wildcats series which would have touched upon the Wildstorm universe and... The authority, and we never got it. It's a great tragedy in my mind, mostly because we didn't get more of Grifter's beautiful mask. Mm-hmm. Um So yeah, I was kind of. You'd think that, like, oh, Superman of the Authority, this would be great, but like, I didn't track it down, and I don't know if it's because I was scared. Like, maybe I, I was, I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to see because Morrison. Morrison has changed. We all change. We're all different people now. But like, could. Maybe it wouldn't have been the same. Maybe you can't recreate the magic. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I haven't read that one either. and I don't know. Is it one I'm going to track down? Probably not. I've got older stories to to track down that I need to own again or that I just need to own for the first time. But yeah, it is interesting how it all changes and how... You want to just capture that original moment you had, don't you? And
0: you never can. We can never read JLA for the first time again. Well, it's, 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 we might have to wait like a, a good five years to, to just read it again for pleasure. Actually, because I, I think yeah. we, we have basically dissected it, um, scanned the old electron microscope across it. So let's 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 do
1: a little a little uh, going back over thing. What mm. is from the Morrison run? Everything that we've looked at. What is your favorite
0: single story? Oh, PJ, you've put me on the spot now, haven't you? I have. Do you do you have an answer? I do. <laughs> I don't not to be not to be a coward, but I wonder is this such a big question? Does it require its own special focus? <laughs> by which by which I'm by, I, I apologise by I'm going off script now it's kind of like just popped into my head do we want to maybe do a whole episode about highlight moments
1: um I mean yeah we could do that we could do that and I will I will keep mine to myself for now because I've got my favourite story and my favourite moment in my head so <sighs>
0: oh, I feel I feel bad I just like I I I, you've, I didn't. Oh my god! I I feel I don't I don't want to leap into it now. I you can say yours if you'd like, and then and then maybe I I can I can bring mine my up. Fa- okay, I know I will. I'll do I'll do do them
1: briefly. My favourite story is still the Sandman two parter with Starro, uh-huh. because I think one it it says something about Superman that is very Morrison and what Superman means to the world, and two it's got. Some really great moments for Kyle. Three, I love Starro anyway, and I think Morris, what Morrison does with Starro is is just so stunning and bizarre, and the atmosphere of those issues with Morrison and Porter working together is 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 crazy to me that they were able to do that. And then, you know, Sadman's in it, and Sandman has done really well in it. So yeah, really that's is. that for me is is my favorite individual story from the run.
0: Oh God, it's it's tough. I think. Um... The problem, the problem I I have with kind of like picking an absolute favourite is that like there are these different eras of the series, and I I can love them all for different reasons. It's like I would like, for example, the the um, the Angels' storyline, the mm-hmm. um uh, which I always forget the exact title of, but thankfully, Hell on Earth. I uh, yeah, he- Heaven on Earth, uh, fire in the, fire in the sky, and heaven Heaven on Earth, and it's like. That's very early JLA, early Morrison JLA. Yeah. But just in terms of, like, sheer spectacle and getting, like, a lot done in a short span of time. Oh, like, chef's kiss. Like, that is incredible. And, of course, like, made me love Electric Blue Superman. Arguably the greatest Electric Blue Superman we've ever seen. Um, uh, But I don't know. Oh, it's tough. It's... Like, obviously, World War Three has such a special place in my heart as well. It's very hard to pin it down. Well, that's it. If we go favourite individual moment,
1: for me, it is that moment where Superman moves the moon. That oh. splash page of him between the two pylon things and, and changing the poles of the moon to move it back into orbit is probably my favourite moment from the whole series. Because if I think about this series, it is that page that pops into my head first. And that moment that makes me go, yeah, that's that's so
0: cool. No but this is good pj this is this is how to have your cake and eat it too isn't it because i can i can pick a moment and a story um yeah. oh gosh pj you yeah you put me on the spot i for now i will simply say that that moment with electric blue superman yeah if you ever wanted to like if you ever wanted a series in a in a nutshell of what of what well that that's what ruined comics for me basically because it's like I want every moment to be that bombastic, but also kind of meaningful. Uh, yeah. And and they can't all be that moment. So, yeah, I think Electric Blue Superman moving moving the moon. And then, a few pages later, my
1: second favourite moment of the whole oh, series, God. Superman wrestling with Asmodele while Flash saying this, he, he said he couldn't live up to his myth and he's wrestling with an angel. This is...
0: <laughs> yeah. In, in it's t- brilliant. It's funny, like, some of the quieter moments that suddenly spring to mind, like i I, you know, I, I, unbidden, I found myself just thinking of a couple of Jean interactions. One from mm. that story, one from One Million, oddly enough, where Jean, the kind of like the jolly green giant, you just get these moments of just intense frustration and disappointment with yes. dictators <laughs> and 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 villains. Just yeah, just to be so kind of just. You 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 you're all the same, you're just pathetic. Why do you always do this? And that yeah, those little moments of quiet disappointment have always always stuck with me as well. And I think that then you also get that moment in um
1: Earth 2 where Jean just takes out Ultraman because he's tired of it. He's oh, had enough uh, of him yes. while Aquaman just punches out Power Ring as well, and when the crime syndicate come over to our world and two members of the JLA just take them out. Oh, that's a good moment. It's PJ, PJ, it's like this series has a lot of good moments. It's weird that it would almost be a good subject to look at in detail on a podcast.
0: Somebody should do that. Somebody should do that. Yeah, um, PJ. Just because I'm just because I'm aware that uh, we have a little less time to record today, and, that, and that's entirely my fault. So I, I <laughs> apologize, to everyone. Did we want to talk a bit now about where we're going next with the series?
1: Yeah. So. We we we're, we're gonna keep the podcast going. We don't want to stop, and we're hoping you don't want us to stop. <laughs> we can't stop. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we got to keep this up. But obviously, we finished the Morrison run on JLA. So where do we go next? We had some options. Um, we've talked about going on to Mark Wade's run, and I think that's something maybe we will do down the line, perhaps. Uh, to compare and contrast, as it were, it's a shorter run, but uh, I think it's worth it. We have talked about moving on to other comics completely. But what we're doing next is what we are calling and have referred to as our Morrison Mop-Up. Now, what we've decided is this will comprise of two phases. (laughs) Uh, Yep, yep. I know, it's brilliant. This is all good. We've broken it down like that. The second phase is going to be sort of a bit more esoteric. We're just going to look at other Morrison JLA stories from outside of the era when they were on the book. So, like, earlier Justice League stories and maybe some later ones as well. But what we're going to do first is look at all the JLA stories. Well, not all, because we don't want to. (laughs) But look at a load of the JLA stories that came out at the same time as the Morrison run. So we've got some things that we've written down i can tell you now we're not going to look at genesis in detail i already read it once to discuss it briefly during our rock of ages episodes i don't want to read it again and i don't want to subject john to it so Um,
0: we're not going to do genesis in detail (laughs) this is just i'm such a bad person because you put you put all that effort in originally and i was like oh no pj i won't let you suffer suffer alone I'll, i'll check it out one day and i didn't And then we're like, oh, no, we'll definitely revisit it. We've got to later. And then we're not going to. So John dodged a bullet there. I don't want to read it again. It was that bad. It just, no. It added (laughs) nothing. It added nothing. No, just let's move on.
1: But what we are going to look at next, technically came out a few months before the Morrison run started, but it was concurrent with Midsummer's Nightmare, which obviously is sort of the story that kickstarts the Morrison run. Uh, And that builds up then to World War III. Uh, And what we're going to look at is a DC event from November 1996. We're going to look at the final night, possibly the forgotten DC event. It doesn't seem to really come up when people talk DC events these days. But yeah, it's got a Justice League in it. And I also think it has some moments in it that sort of almost contradict New World Order slightly, and things don't quite fit together. So I think it'd be interesting to look at that. So we're going to cover the Final Night preview, the four issues of Final Night, and the Parallax Emerald Night one-shot over the next five episodes.
0: So in the kind of Morrison chronology, like if 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 um, hang on, got I've got the data here. So if January nineteen ninety seven is like, that's like post. Morrison. Or oh, that that's where the Morrison era begins. This is kind of like before Morrison, so like mm. BM. So this is BM1 basically. Before Morrison 1 1996 on the greater yep. Morrison geological time time frame.
1: Yeah. And then after Final Night we'll move back into the Morrison era and look at a lot of different JLA stuff that came out at the same time so other mini series and one shots and even guest appearances in other books by the league and sort of see how other creators interpreted what morrison was doing with that team uh and and laid groundwork that would be followed up on later on as well so that's that's going to be it's there's quite a few to look at
0: so it's going to be quite a few episodes of the podcast but that is what you now have to look forward to and um i should say thank you to um those listeners who have written in um uh, you know particularly notable mention to uh, chris vermonix and murphy who um whose encyclopedic knowledge of jla and the dc universe and morrison in particular is is frankly astounding and puts us both to shame yeah and uh, for, for for and and chris and other people have have emailed in uh, a number of potential stories they'd like us to look at uh and um Chris in particular, which is why I'd like to say thank you, is very good at, uh, at picking up and flagging other instances of Morrison writing the JLA, some of which really are quite esoteric to the point where <laughs> we probably would not have found them on our own. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be looking at some of those down the line. So, yeah, thank you to everyone who flags stuff. And again, if, if there is anything you you think we might miss or is anything you'd like to check that we are going to look at, do feel free to email us contact details are in the description uh because yeah we, we very much love hearing from you and your insight will help keep us honest
1: yeah and i think we 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 can be flexible with how we look at things over this period of the show as well so if you find something that fits into the
0: timeline we can fit it in that's fine no problem uh i know that and then of course um some, some it's like you know so we're, it's like we're fishing, PJ. We're, we're we're dipping we're dipping the the rod into this grand pool of DC content, and some some are bigger fish and they're easier to find. Like, ah, um, oh, it's a JLA classified, like the Ultramarine storyline, which is a three-part Morrison JLA storyline that came out later. That's easy to find, mm-hmm. yeah. And we'll get to, we'll get to those. We'll get to those in yeah, time. Yeah. But PJ's PJ, This is where PJ gets to shine because PJ is going to take me now on a journey I haven't I've haven't, I've never been on before I've never read Final Night and I'm looking forward to it. It's a journey I have been on because I
1: basically between Strength in Numbers and then I had to wait for Justice for All and then wait for World War 3. I bought everything I could find that had the words JLA on it or just had the team in it. So yeah, this is I bought Strength in Numbers and then I
0: went out and bought a lot more stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and again, this is what a series this is what a revitalization of a flagship series is meant to do. Mm. You know, this is, its meant to invigorate fans and, and new readers alike, and it did because, yeah, like I collected so much DC stuff because of this stuff I would never have picked up normally.
1: Yep. So, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly excited to look at Final Night again because I think it's a really, it's a really good creative team actually, and I think there's some interesting stuff in in this. We're not going to, like with DC 1 million, we're not even going to look as as many tie-ins as we did with DC 1 million, because they're irrelevant. There's only one tie-in that matters to Final Night in my trade, and that is the Parallax one, which we'll get to, and is interesting in and of itself, but yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to reread Final Night, actually. I haven't for a while. It's it's
0: going to be... It's, 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 it's an exciting new era for the show, basically, and there's going to be a lot of PG&I going oh this is cool we should look at this this is cool we should look at that so yeah it's definitely not over really because mm. the echoes of what morrison did ha- affected affected the dc universe for a good while like you know we we're, we're just going to be following those kind of ripples outwards really and yeah yeah we we hope you'll continue to stick with us yeah and uh we hope you'll enjoy
1: us waffling about the weird comics some of which we love some of which we may not that we look at but i think we'll always have something to say about so
0: and and even when even when we exhaust this this kind of dc well um you've heard us talk about it we'd love to get to it but you know let's not rule out Looking at the Busick-Perez run on Avengers, you know, let's let's not rule out other Morrison projects. We've, because um, clearly, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot to say about the Busick-Perez uh, run. Yeah. because we generally can't shut up about it. So that's on well, the cards it, as well. And I don't think we can cover
1: JLA Avengers without looking at that first. Oh, so
0: <laughs> JLA Avengers, I forgot about. Oh, there's. You see, you've got to stick around. This like the good stuff is still
1: coming. Oh my life. I still think there's we'll, there'll come a point where we start looking at other big DC events as well. Like, we've got the death of Superman. You've got all the Batman events from the 90s. Nightfall to No Man's Land. That could be fun too. So, yeah, we, we've got... We can keep this show
0: going for years. Because in 67... No, no, wait. This is episode 66. Well, no, no, it is 67 because we had an episode zero. We've yep. clearly not demonstrated uh uh well we no, we we're clearly very good at talking is what i'm trying to say in a slightly garbled way so we've got plenty more to say in one yes. form or another yes um pj because it's my fault this is a truncated episode right now um i'd like to apologize but i'd also like to thank you massively for 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 doing this weird project with me it's been it's been an absolute delight
1: oh it really has so i i will also thank you um cuz it's been a hell of a way to revisit one of my favourite comics, and I will look forward to revisiting many
0: more comics with you. Oh, it's all getting a bit emotional here. Um, <laughs> and of course, I, I guess if we're rolling out the thanks, uh, in no in no particular order, um, a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell who drew our incredible cover artwork, and who knows, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have to prevail upon him again at some point in the future to update it and to Elliot Red for composing and performing our our superb theme tune
1: justice so do we get another new theme tune though as well that's the, the question now you,
0: you never know oh, oh oh let's get let's get a remix of it oh he could do that he could do that. <laughs> what one thing I would also like to say and I I know PJ will agree with me on this um a massive thank you to everyone who's listened um mm. everyone who's joined us on this journey um everyone who wrote in like it's it's just it's just lovely. To hear from you all and to know that there are people out there who care as much as we do. It's been it's yeah. been amazing.
1: And who, you know, don't argue with everything we're saying about <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> I mean I mean you're allowed to argue. It's just it's just nice that it's just nice that you haven't, you know. We're very yeah. we're very non confrontational, gentle people, really. <laughs> <laughs> I can accept gentle disagreement. Um and on that note, PJ, um, thank you again. Thank you to everyone. PJ, please, Um, for the last meaningful time, but certainly not for the last time, could you please see us off in your own unique fashion? Peace out. I had nothing. That was nice and simple.